Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain was the latest episode of our fabulous Women in Supply Chain series. I was joined by Anna Lucia of Starbucks, and I cannot wait for you to hear about her journey. She has some incredible advice, some incredible stories to share. So if you missed it, you can catch up over at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast or anywhere that you subscribe to the show. It was episode 212 if you'd like to go and take a listen. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. E2Open is an end-to-end supply chain software platform helping the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. They are partnering with their customers on collaboration, visibility, network connectivity, and handling disruptions. And they see that the ultimate value lies in people and meeting their needs. That's why they partner with their customers. If you are looking for an end-to-end supply chain solution, check out e2open.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I am in the UK this week, but I'm so glad that we can still bring you some of our amazing content. And we've got some really big things happening. We've got a new show with Eric Johnson that just went live. I think it was last week, and it's called Log Tech Live with Eric Johnson. We've also got a show with Abby Baird for the next generation of supply chain, and that happens the third Thursday of every single month. So if you haven't checked it out, go and follow us on Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, and you'll get notified when we go live. We are building out some incredible shows, so you want to make sure you click that follow button so that you can get notified of all the amazing shows that are coming up. So today I'm joined by a giant in business spend management, a company which is looking to unify supply chain, procurement, payments, and treasury in one smart and seamless platform. Any idea who it is? Well, I will release reveal that in after the question of the week. So the question of the week was, does your business have a sustainability strategy? We didn't get a lot of comments on this one, but we did get a lot of votes. So in, in first place, absolutely was a resounding 73% of businesses have a sustainability strategy. 20% said not at the moment and 7% said other. um, And we asked them to comment below, but we did not get that comment. So what does that mean for your business? If you don't have a sustainability strategy, 73% of businesses do. So you might want to go and take a look and see what you want to do from a sustainability strategy and start building out that plan. I'm going to have more information for you coming out this fall that's going to help you do that. And I cannot wait to share that with you. So now back to today's podcast and which market leading software company is joining me today? Well, it's Kufa Software. Founded in 2006, Kufa is the cloud platform for business spend management, empowering companies around the world with the visibility and control they need to spend smarter and safer. 
In partnership with the business spend management community, Coupa are constantly co-creating new and unique capabilities that deliver transparency, efficiency, actionable insights, and solutions to customers, partners, and suppliers so they can understand and manage their spend. Today, Matt, Vice President of Industry Strategy at Cooper Software, joins me to chat all about the company, what they do, the impact of COVID on supply chain resiliency, and why innovation, collaboration, and visibility are all the keys to business success. But before we dive in, let's learn a little bit more about Matt. So Matt is the VP of Industry Strategy at Coupa, helping customers and products prospects overcome various supply chain strategy, forecasting, planning, and design challenges. Matt started his career as a supply chain network design consultant and held senior supply chain positions at Oracle, Clarient Corporation, and Arby's before moving into software and industry roles. He has more than 23 years of experience in manufacturing, consulting, and technology, and demonstrates repeated successes leading supply chain transformation. Matt holds a BSBA in Logistics Management from Central Michigan University. In 2019, Matt also completed the executive program at MIT Sloan's School of Management for Machine Learning Implementation in Business. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me today. It's a privilege and honor to be uh, on your podcast today. I am so excited to have you here. I mean, I've worked with Coupa on a few things, right? And I hosted an absolutely fascinating webinar last month featuring MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. So I'm really thrilled to have the chance to work together once again and really to have our listeners find out more about everything and all the amazing things you guys are doing over at Coupa. So let's really dive in here. But before we do, I noticed a really large picture of a Camaro on a racetrack behind you. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And do you see any relation at all to supply chain? <laughs> that's a, that's a great question. It, it does kind of stand out. Um, one of my, this is a gift from my wife, actually. It was one of my hobbies is teaching uh, high performance driving on racetracks. So people buy Porsches and Camaros and Corvettes and Lotuses. And they, instead of just a parade, they want to take them to a racetrack and figure out how to go around corners really fast. Yep. And I have the privilege of instructing with a couple different groups and it's, it's a ton of fun. So I have my own car that I go out there and do that in. Um, it's just a great way to, to, to release stress. And when you're on a racetrack doing 140 miles an hour, looking at a brick wall and you've got to stop and two, 300 foot, make a right hand hand corner. You're thinking about nothing else in the world except brake and gas pedal and cornering. So it's, it's, it's good to get me focused somewhere else from time to time. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I can't help but think about supply chain. It's an interesting question. Um, back in like 1989, I learned how to drive a stick shift on the old five liter, five speed Mustang. If you grew up in my generation, it was the Vanilla Ice, the 5.0 song that we all listen to. So I was, I was learning how to drive a stick shift on one of those. And you look at this Camaro and fundamentally it's not that different. If you looked at it, four wheels, big engine in the front, transmission, stick shift, you know, rear wheel drive. Fundamentally, the car hasn't changed a lot, except they've put a lot of sensors in it and they've added a lot of AI to it. So there's a lot of sensors, there's a lot of um, artificial intelligence and algorithms. I'm sure this car has more computing power than the first, you know, spaceship that went into outer space, right? So it makes me a much better driver. And that's kind of a theme we'll talk about today is how can companies take their existing systems, keep what they have in place, put AI on top of it and make better decisions and leverage the investment they already have. So yeah, thanks for asking. Great, great question. 
No, I love that. And for me, it it makes me think of all of the raw materials that go into that car as well. And how each component in that car has its own supply chain. Yes, the complexity is, is unbelievable for a global supply chain to come together just in time perfectly to make this car you know, the scheduling happens by VIN number, even with a lot of suppliers that are doing seats mm-hmm. and trims. It is a, and I don't know if you've been through an auto assembly plant yourself, Sarah. No, I haven't. No. But I've been through some of Toyota's and some of, of um, uh, Chrysler's and it's, it's an, an amazing operation to watch this stuff come together and you visit their supplier base and how they're planning down to the VIN code seats and options. And a trailer will pull up to the assembly line with a rack system and they'll take seats and they'll roll them off onto a rack and they'll meet up with the car they're supposed to adjoin to on the assembly line. It's, it's an amazing synchronization. It's, it's worth seeing. If you ever get a factory tour in Michigan, they do a Ford F-150 factory tour at the Henry Ford Museum. Any of the listeners are in that area, I highly encourage you to do that factory tour. It's, it's really awesome. I'm going to go and do that. All right. So let, let's get back to what we're, what we're going to be talking today. Can you give us, you know, a bit of a broad overview before we do a deeper dive into some of your key areas? What does Coupa Supply Chain Design and Planning do and how do you help your customers? Yeah. So we, we really grew out of a, a supply chain design space. So um, network design and simulation. So companies grow by acquisition. Every acquisition makes sense. And they acquire a lot of manufacturing assets, a lot of distribution assets, and they look back and say, we've got a lot, of, a lot of complexity here, and we know there's more efficiencies to be had. So it really grew out of the supply chain network optimization space where we'd go in, we'd build a model of a company's end-to-end supply chain, their capacities, their costs, their distribution lanes, and we'd help them understand, hey, here's where you can get efficiencies, here's where you may you know, close a distribution center, you have redundant manufacturing capacities now, so you can add a line at this plant, you can you know, offload another manufacturing facility. So it's all about looking at your end-to-end supply chain and understanding how can I get cost efficiencies and increase service at the same time. So simultaneously doing those two things. So we, we grew out of that supply chain design space, and we've really come into the area of digital twins. So you, you're hearing a lot in the last year and a half, Sarah, I'm sure, the supply chain digital twin. So that's yeah. where Coupa Supply Chain Design and Planning is now, is building out that digital twin of a supply chain. Well, we say end-to-end. It doesn't have to be end-to-end. It really is the part of the supply chain that the customer wants to make a decision on. So it can be from manufacturing plants all the way to the customer base. It can be distribution centers to your customer base, or it can be you know, your suppliers, your supplier suppliers, all the way through your manufacturing vertical integration to your customer base. And we build a twin of that and and we allow companies to experiment. So it, think of like a, a military jet fighter. You know, you see these jets, maybe you go to the um, some of the air shows and it's magnificent what these pilots can make these planes do in formation, but they don't start off doing that. They spend a lot of time in a simulator, right? A lot mm-hmm. of time with other aircraft, a lot of time in a simulation, and when they test the limits of the aircraft, if they over test the airframe, they hit the reset button, right? So when that pilot goes up in the air, it's tried and true. They know the maneuvers they're going to make are going to work, right? Same thing with supply chain. Instead of making a gut feel with a little bit of data, we can take a whole lot of data and say, what happens if we change our distribution strategy? What happens if we mm-hmm. expand a manufacturing center? And we test these things out down to you know detailed costing. Then when a company takes that decision go, to go live, the financials match up, the results expected, and everyone's on the same page. So it's really that digital twin and helping companies achieve global efficiencies within their supply chains. 
Yeah. And the, the simulation, right? I think that is one of the most important things. And a lot of what I've been talking to with a lot of the companies that I speak to on a regular basis is the importance of that simulation so that you can take a look at what you're doing now. You can make some tweaks and mm-hmm. you can see what impact that's going to make at different parts of your supply chain. And that to me is just taking supply chain to a whole nother level and gives you that competitive advantage that we've been talking about that supply chain gives organizations. So let's talk about the kind of value that digital supply chain twin is driving for your customers and what is making that possible. Explain a little bit more of that so that you know the audience can really get a sense of how it can be their competitive advantage. Yeah, sure. So when you think about you know supply chain historically for the last yeah, ever since I've been in it 25 years, it's been really focused on association supply chain management score model, right? They, they take yeah. the supply chain and they put it in functional centers of excellence and software providers and practitioners and companies have built great silos of, of excellence around manufacturing, around distribution, around inventory, um, customer service, around sourcing, of course. Coop is huge in, 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 in sourcing. So those have been you know, functional silos of excellence. Where this um, the value unlocks becomes is getting above that and making end-to-end decisions and understanding the implications I make on an inventory decision in a warehouse in Atlanta. How does that impact my manufacturing efficiencies in a manufacturing facility I have on the West Coast or overseas that feeds that? And what yeah. are the trickle-down effects to my customer base? So it's understanding, when, when you think about it, it's a systems theory, Right. We're not sub-optimizing the supply chain and silos. We're getting above it and saying, we want to make the best decision for the system, right? And there's some trade-offs involved. So it's really understanding those trade-offs. And, and what we did is, is, is don't take our word for it, right? Take our customers' words. We're big on, on customers' feedback. And we surveyed a couple of years ago over about six to 700 of our customers. And we asked them, hey, what have you, what have you saved? What have you realized with, with this digital twin technology? And they came back with about a 9% savings. So when you look at those functional, it's huge, right? So when you look at those functional areas, whether it's inventory, working capital savings, manufacturing cost reductions, inventory reductions, transportation cost reductions, take 9% out. So pick your bucket, look at your financials for your customer or your company, and then take 9% of that cost structure. So the savings are absolutely huge. And in part of that, you know, we add all these up and we've identified, our customers have identified over $16 billion in, in cost savings. And that is, no. that is a, a very small estimate. We know it's much, much longer, larger, but that's the number we go with because we quantified it and we have the data to back it up. So we're talking multiple billions of dollars, $16 billion in savings. So, that, so it's huge and it doesn't require a massive outlay in a two-year project to implement, right? So that's, that's the exciting yeah. thing. It's very high ROI and it's quick. Amazing. And you know, when you talk about this, what I think about is what supply chain leaders are going through at the moment with their organizations is really, you know, what are we going to do moving forward with all of the disruptions that have been happening in international trade, you know, especially from an ocean freight and an air freight standpoint, many companies are looking at tweaking their supply chain and maybe manufacturing for local markets rather than international markets. What does that look like? How can that impact? Is it really worth us taking a look at that? And, you know, I think about all the scenarios that they're, they're going to have to think about when they're deciding to make these organizational, you know, changes that are going to affect, you know, 
their their competitiveness, their supply chains, everything about their organization. And I just think how important it is to have these tools and have these op- opportunities to be able to look at the different aspects and how that's going to make an impact. And so, you know, 16 billion from a couple of years ago, I can only imagine what that number is going to be as supply chain leaders dig into it that much more. Absolutely. It's only going to continue to increase. That That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So AI and machine learning and data science, they're all topics that have really gained a lot of momentum um, when we're talking about improving supply chain performance. What are your thoughts on these topics, you know, specifically relating to supply chain improvements? Yeah. In relation to supply chain improvements, I think there's a somewhat of a fallacy and it's starting to become undone, right? The, the big shift was, let's get a data lake, let's get all our data, you know, stored in a canonical database and, and normalize and standardize and clean. And then we'll get a lot of value out of that. Right. And then, you know, Power BI and applications came out where you could do some KPI reporting, which was good. It was insightful, but it was kind of rearview mirror. And then it shifted to, hey, there's this new thing called the data science to scientists. And if we can teach them where they come with the skill set of R and Python, they can make magic happen. Right. right. And, and a lot of times they can and, and they love looking through data and sifting through it, using algorithms and finding some insights. The, the, the question is, what do you do with those insights once you have them? Right. And that that mm-hmm. goes into you have to have a scalable solution. You have to have role based security. You have to have a user interface that's standardized. And I think the research, I may be a little bit wrong in this. I did a, a session on this a little bit ago, but 85 percent of data science projects fail. Um, for, the, for those reasons, right? And data scientists are really hard to find and they're, they're, they're taking a premium in the marketplace. So if you want a good mm-hmm. data scientist, they're going to cost you some money um, and then you've got to retain them, which is another aspect. So it, it's, you know, AI machine learning is, is not a silver bullet. The, the, the trick is understanding, starting with the end in mind. So think back to Stephen Covey, right? The seven habits of highly effective people, right? Sharpen the saw mm-hmm. and, you know, think with the end in mind. So what is the problem you're trying to solve? And then once you understand the problem you're trying to solve, structuring the data. So leverage that 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 data lake that you've built, right? Take pieces of that data out, put them in a decision, what we call a decision data model, structure that data and build a model with that to model your supply chain. Use an algorithm, machine learning, AI across that, and then get your insights and recommendations. So it's not just, hey, I'm going to stick an algorithm on top of a data lake, or I'm going to hire some data scientists and they're going to make some magic, which they can, but that takes a long time. So the, so the question is really doing a great job of defining what are we trying to improve? And my advice is always this, Sarah, don't start with something you don't really understand how to do. You should right. find companies should find something they do well and say, hey, we do this well. We've got numbers of people on it. We've got fancy spreadsheets. Let's try to do that better. Right. So start mm-hmm. small, grab that data put it in a decision data model, build out a part of your digital twin, grab those insights, implement it, and let that momentum carry other projects, you know, across the organization. Yes, that is so true. And I, you know, I talk about this all the time, especially when it comes to technology, is that you do need to start small. um, And Mm. you do need to know what that goal is, you know, what is that problem that you're solving? And like you said, work your way backwards, Mm -hmm. but really do start small and implement and see what works and what doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, it's a journey. It's not a destination. I mean, this is something that we're going to be on for the rest of the organization organization's future. And so you bring us to the next point, right? Because 
you know, I want to know just how some of those insights are turned into action. You mentioned that your digital supply chain twin sits above ERPs, but how do the various execution systems align to these new, new insights? Because that's a question that I get asked a lot is, you know, we've got systems for this and systems for that and technology for this and technology sure. for that. Like, how do they all come together? <laughs> that is, is a very complex landscape, right? There are so yeah. many different systems at companies. Companies may have three different TMS systems or five different WMS systems, mm-hmm. especially with, I talked about the, the acquisitions that happen, right? So now you in, inherit different diverse you know, operating systems. And well, diversity is a great thing in corporate America. I'm not sure it's so great to have a radically diverse, you know, uh, application landscape within, within your organization. It, 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 right. There's a lot to be said about standardizing. But the good news is whether you've standardized on, on a global instance of an ERP or whether you have lost those instances, again, because we work above an ERP system and we're making decisions in context of what's the end-to-end decision going to be, right? How do we change our distribution strategy? Do we add a manufacturing location? Do we change how we do imports and flow through a different port? Just a myriad of questions. Once we understand the decisions we need to make, then we feed those back into those siloed siloed execution systems. So the people in those functions, let's say an easy one is, is inventory levels, right? We'll look at your safety stock levels and we'll, we'll put that back into master data tables within an SAP or an Oracle or Microsoft back in that distribution center or that manufacturing plant warehouse that may be feeding that manufacturing plant or it may be containing those finished goods. We feed that master data back in there and there's a cadence to that. So depending on the decision for inventory strategies, maybe a customer wants to look at that once a quarter because things change in the marketplace. So they right. hit a button, they refresh their data. They look at the insights, they calculate their new quantities, and they hit another button that literally pushes that back down into the execution system with, with an update process. So it's, it's, it's a really easy, uh, and it's a, it's a click and drag. So we've spent 15 years plus, and we had our own struggles, right, trying to massage data with SQL and feed it back into systems. So we needed to design an application that was, um, uh, we use the term ETL, I think is a standard term, you know, uh, extract, transfer, and load. And okay. we designed an ETL. It's a click and drag tool. So you don't have to have a bottleneck with, with IT. We love our IT departments, but they're constrained like, like every department, right? So mm-hmm. actually analysts can do a lot of this data mapping themselves. And it gives the business some flexibility again to get you know to, to speed to value quicker. So even though you're doing end-to-end decisions, you may have five different things that feed back into some of your siloed systems, your ERP systems. But when you feed the right data in context of the decision, they execute in a different way to give you those value unlocks that you haven't seen before. Yeah. And the magic happens. I mean, what you're just talking about that is just magic. (laughs) It is magic. That's, (laughs) it's funny. I've said that before. I'm like, it is magic when you do this right. And that's where you get, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of savings is not, Mm -hmm. not uncommon in our large customer base. And that's, that's what I get excited about, right? Shareholder value, um, competitive advantage in the marketplace, the value unlocks are, are massive and it's not hard. That's why I'm passionate about it. I want the whole world to know that this is possible. It's easy to do and we'll hold your hand getting there and you're going to be amazed. So just come on this journey, right? Start small, we'll prove it and just mm-hmm. come on this journey because once you get started, you're going to get addicted. There you go. You have heard it here, everybody. The magic happens and it's very simple to get there. I love it. <laughs> 
I love it. Thank you so much for for sharing that part. And while I was doing research for this episode, I found out that you've been working a lot recently with the Department of Defense. And so when I think about simulation, I think the Department of Defense, I'm kind of thinking about like war gaming simulation exercises that our military strategists perform on a routine basis. Are you seeing the war gaming concept being employed within your commercial customer base as well? Absolutely. It's, it's a very, very timely question. As a matter of fact, yesterday I hosted um, a webinar with Hackett on this on, on a topic. We did three polling questions. And one of them was this war gaming technique. And if, if I remember correctly, about 16 to, 70, 16 to 17% of the respondents had mentioned they are doing war gaming wow. with their supply chain. So it's that concept of instead of waiting until something happens, scratching your head and go, how do we respond? Throwing right. you know people at the problem, throwing Excel spreadsheets at the question. Those, those companies, and there's a maturity that's required, right? There's a crawl, crawl walk, run. So, so organizations that are, are used to this, they've been doing supply chain modeling and design work um, and digital twin work for a while. They're saying, hey, let's get prepared for the next one. Just like the military does a bunch of, of scenarios and saying, you know, if war breaks out in this theater, we have a playbook ready to go. Some of these world-class organizations are doing the same thing and saying, let's look at different nodes of our supply chain, what risks we have, what happens if that port port strikes, you know, what happens if that yep. strike goes on port for two weeks? What, what, what happens to our customer base? What plans do we put in play? And then, you know, what happens in channel growth, like COVID huge channel shift, right. To, to mm-hmm. e-commerce. Um, I should have wrote the article when it started. I, I had something ready to go <laughs> calls e-commerce goes viral. I'm kicking myself for never writing it because e-commerce went viral, Sarah. Um, and those types of things, you have a massive channel shift, which requires a very different agility or supply chain to mm-hmm. fill piece pick orders to a customer than filling pallets to a retail location, right? Yeah. So it's it's understanding those those different plays and what your supply chain will look like. And not only that, but but monitoring your supply chain's operating environment and saying, at what point do we pull the trigger? Yeah. So when does that change hit that that inflection point where we need to we need to put that playbook in play? So you're putting that playbook into motion and your customers haven't even under your, your competitors rather haven't even decided what to do yet. And you're weeks ahead of them. And mm-hmm. that gets to competitive advantage. That's where you grab market share. That's where you get customer attention. So it's yes, wargaming is out there. It's increasing. Is it going to be the de facto standard? Probably not. But in a lot of these big global corporations that understand they have some, some inherent risks with any global supply chain, wargaming is becoming, um, key to the to understanding the, the risk that's inherent within that supply chain. Well, and I think the other thing that makes me so excited is because we we talk a lot about supply chain talent and making supply chain kind of that industry that people want to get into. And I feel like with the concept of gaming and talking about gaming and and you know, talking about that concept that people can utilize the gaming concept in their day to day when they're working in supply chain, Mm -hmm. that is going to turn this industry into one that I think everybody's going to want to work in. And so that makes me really excited because our industry is all about people. And I can't wait to see who you know, is excited about that and wants to come in and work with us in this amazing industry. 
A hundred percent. Let me, let me, let me start off by saying I am a nerd and I just came to that conclusion about two years ago and I, <laughs> I embrace my inner nerd, Sarah. So it used to be like all the, the nerds would go into computer science. I, I tell you, if you, if, if you're one of these nerds, like I am, supply chain is a great place to be because you get to work with data analytics. We're gamifying it now. We're looking at scenarios and KPIs and what if, and it's, it's really fun. I mean, I, I, I'm admitting that I'm coming public. I'm admitting that I'm a nerd and, and data analysis is really fun. Right. But it, it's intriguing. And then you see the value that it unlocks and it's, it's to those people who, who are coming, thinking about supply chain, you never do the same thing. It's so dynamic. You don't get bored. If you love to solve problems and you're decent with data, this is the place to be. Absolutely. Yes. You'll never get bored. You'll never be without a job. And if you are, it'll be just for a couple of weeks and you'll get a better one two weeks later. And it is just a fascinating field to be in right now, especially with the state of you know globalization and, and pandemics hitting after we globalize, right? Then it keeps us yeah. even more creative and more on our toes. So it's Absolutely. a never ending party in supply chain. Yes. <laughs> We are revealing so much in this episode today. I love it. I love it. So good stuff. Um, yeah, let's talk about creating successful futures because I talked about it a little bit earlier, how supply chain leaders are really tasked with what does the future of our supply chain look like? And I don't think we can move on without talking about supply chain resiliency because I think that's a huge word that's come out of, you know, COVID, obviously, we didn't talk about it nearly enough leading up to COVID, then it hit. And we were talking about resiliency all the time. You know, we're 18 months down the line since the beginning of the pandemic, people are taking a look at what their supply chains need to look at. So what are you seeing from your perspective when it comes to nurturing resilience? And how has your solution in this area really helped your customers? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great question. And you know, one of the great things about the pandemic, people used to ask me, Hey Matt, what do you do for a living? And I'd say, I, oh, you don't, you, you really don't want to know. Like, no, I, I want to know. <laughs> and I talked to him about, um, I get about 30 seconds of my supply chain pitch. Their eyes would roll. They try and like, see, you didn't want to know. Right. <laughs> so the nice thing about COVID people are like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I'm a global supply chain expert. Like, Ooh, supply chain. Talk to me about what's going on in the port of LA and talk to me about COVID. So it's, it's, it's elevated supply chain, not only to the level where most people understand supply chain is really important mm -hmm. because it was behind the scenes, right? We took it for yeah. granted. We went to the grocery store and got what we needed. So um, what I'm seeing is it's really elevated, not in the population, but also to the C-level suite. We're seeing so many more mentions in annual reports about um, supply chain and supply chain resiliency and supply chain helping customers improve performance or our supply chain didn't do what we hoped it would do because we had these things happen we didn't count on. So our supply chain held us back. So now we're kind of tweaking our supply chain to make sure that doesn't happen again. So, and even you see, I forget the statistics, Sarah, you may know it. Um, the level of board members now for publicly mm -hmm. held companies where they're looking for supply chain acumen now is increased radically. So that's a board yeah. level skill they're looking for now in board members, which is great. So specifically to like, how are our customers using it? It, it, it and again, gets back to war gaming and stress testing your supply chain because mm -hmm. when COVID hit, what did it do? It exposed the weak links in your supply chain, but we don't need a pandemic to do that. All you right. need is a bunch of different demand scenarios that you feed into your digital twin and you can find the inherent risks. So a lot of our customers are doing that where they've you know, hired the McKinsey's of the world and said, Hey, we've got different COVID recovery scenarios. Um, they worked with them and said, here's your different recovery scenarios. 
Now the challenge is what do you do with those, right? right? If you have a digital twin, and we had a customer that did this, you feed those scenarios into the digital twin. Then you say, okay, now I understand the implications on these different recovery scenarios, what the implications are going to be on my supply chain. So yeah. we're seeing that be becoming a more evol evolved practice and not just in the area of pandemic. Now customers are saying, well, what happens if a channel shift happens? What happens when we stop selling sedans and we go only to SUVs? Um, what is that going to look like? What's that going to do to our supplier base? And again, you can start with that demand and go all the way back to your supplier base and see the impacts in, in a virtual environment. So it's let's stress test it. Let's let's make some assumptions of what might happen in the marketplace. Let's feed that in the digital twin and, and and go through these analysis before we actually encounter them in the real world. And then we're trying to play catch up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that. And I love how you broke that down, how your customers deploy your applications and what it actually means for them, right? Because it's one thing to get the data, which, mm -hmm. which you talked about, right? It's another one to put it into scenarios and really see what that impact is to every single piece of your supply chain and how that little tweak could mean either momentous gain <laughs> or quite the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. And and before you actually deploy and put that into uh, practice. So, you know, we've talked a lot about what you do and how you can help customers, but do you have an ideal customer? Is there a particularly sized business that you're best placed to help? Yeah, very, very fair question. When we look at our customer base, it requires a certain level of complexity, right? There are certain customers that can run on spreadsheets, supply chain, challenging questions and and they can get through it pretty pretty well right we typically see you know in food manufacturing companies here that are onshore once you get about 500 million dollars or more in revenue then they start to exhaust their team's abilities their skill sets abilities their excel spreadsheets and they're like we're, we're trying it just doesn't work anymore so right. they come knock on our door and they're like help and we're like we're glad to help you well, there's a different way right um outside of the food industry um and retail falls in there well, manufacturing, distribution, you know, a billion dollar and above. So our typical client base is, a, is 500 to a billion at a low level and up to the world's largest global, global companies. The more complexity, the more nodes in your supply chain, manufacturing, distribution, different lanes, and what we refer to as optionality. So the more options you have to get, you know, product from a customer um, to a customer from your supply base through your, you know, supply chain, the better. And when you look at, I actually pulled it up this morning for another, um, something else I was working on. We looked at the, the KPIs of our average customer, how complex they were. And when you mm -hmm. take their manufacturing locations, their distribution locations, their sourcing, you multiply this together, our average customer has 191 billion different combinations what? that they can use. It's, 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 it's huge. It's radically huge. So, wow. it, it, so our customers are complex. They're global, yeah. and this was made to handle really complex global decisioning. But if you're local yeah. and you're, you're trying to figure out a manufacturing strategy onshore and you're a three $400 million business, absolutely do that as well. But your question, what's a typical customer? Usually a billion dollars and above with some global, global reach right, that they yeah. want to look at. But think about those numbers and think about trying to get through that with like, without technology. I mean, right. that just, you know, drives me crazy. It, 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 it does. And that's where you see, you know, customers, we give them business cases and they, frankly, they don't believe them, first of all. Right. And, and we're saying, no, but these are off benchmarks and, and this yeah. is achievable. And this is a really low estimate that you can build a business case on. 
and they, they actually come back and they achieve substantially more. And they're like, you just took $120 million out. We achieved it and our service levels are higher. We're like that, that's, that's the magic, right? It all comes back to the magic <laughs> and we demystify that magic. There's, we actually open the curtain and show them what's going on and say, this is how you do it. We train them how to do magic. Yeah. So it's not a trade secret. We can train you and teach you and you build a center of excellence around this, you know, and a best case scenario and companies bring these skill sets slowly on board and, and they make the magic happen on a daily basis themselves with our oh, applications. I love that. You're empowering supply chain professionals <laughs> yes. and leaders like that, that I love to hear. And you talked about examples and that transitions nicely into my next question because I want you to paint me a picture. So if I'm sitting in the audience, I'm listening to this or I'm watching it, Tell us about a great case study or customer experience that just shows how powerful your products are. Like, what was the challenge that they came to you with? What was the solution that you provided? And what was the impact or the ROI of that solution? Sure. So a, a global automotive manufacturing company came to us and they said, we want to understand if there's some cost savings on our inbound transportation. So when you think of a global manufacturing automotive company, all the inbound transportation in the entire world Right. And typically they did delivered pricing. So they did get a price from their suppliers and the suppliers would deliver it to their manufacturing locations. They decided they wanted to build a digital twin out. Remember, I said, you don't have to build end to end. So they said, right. let's model our manufacturing plants and everything upstream in the supply chain and look at where our suppliers are, what rates are available in the market and understand we're going to cherry pick the lanes that we want to manage the inbound freight. Mm -hmm. Right. So they did that analysis with our software, build out the digital twin. And this global manufacturing company, we're talking billions of dollars, well over a billion dollars of, of inbound, you know, cost on an annual basis. Yeah. And they took 15% out of that, right? Same service levels, if not better, and took 15%. So imagine going to, to a sourcing team and say, I want to drive 15% out of your inbound costs. People right. would be like, you're kidding. No, we, we can do it. And we've done it numerous times before. And that's, that's one example. And again, Sarah, that's a huge example. That doesn't mean that we don't have hundreds of examples of a $700 million customer that's saying, hey, we know we don't have the right inventories. And I'm speaking more generic, but there's so many of these that I can't even keep them all straight. Yeah. We're able to come in with inventory strategies and we'll increase fill rates like 20% and we'll drive you know 30% out of their working capital. Right. And that's that's magic. You're going to do 30% working capital reduction. You're going to increase my fill rates by 20%. I want to see that. And that yeah. that's something that takes weeks, if not a few months, to get running, deploy, and implement. So ROI is is, is fast, quick, and, and easily accessible, right? Yeah, yeah. And what, what supply chain professional, procurement professional, does not want to walk in one day after, you know, just a couple of months of working with somebody like a Koopa to say, hey, this is how much we have saved in two months, where typically that has taken a longer cycle for them to walk in and say, hey, we've saved maybe this much in a year, maybe. And Sarah, you know what? It, this reminds, it, takes, it takes something unique, though. It takes leaders who are willing to challenge the status quo. And I've yeah. been leading my entire career. And that's, that's the key is getting a leader who, you know, I would say who's not afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. But since we're doing this all in a digital twin, it really takes no the risk way. out of it, right? Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing. So it's really those leaders who are saying, hey, what we're doing today, is there a better way to do it? And not looking for incremental change, but getting that you know cross-functional group together and saying, what would happen if we radically, we did this different? Well, let's go test that out and let's experiment. Whew, yeah, we need to go for that. 
So it, it, it's those people who have the insight, who have the systems theory, who say, let's challenge the status quo and try something different. Yeah. And it's, you know, we talk about changing the culture or having that change management. I mean, you put that gaming effect in there, you make it that much more fun to come to work. You get them to collaborate with other departments in their company. I mean, you're just going to get the team excited just by talking about it. I mean, maybe I'm a supply chain nerd because that gets me excited. (laughs) (laughs) I really think that your teams are just going to get just as excited. We we had an apparel apparel company here in North America. COVID shut down most retail. Remember the the lockdowns? It seems like Mm -hmm. so long ago now. And the supply chain team was using our software and they literally came to management and said, "We, we have a way to keep inventory moving. We actually built a model and looked at the inventory sitting in our stores. We can have store managers go into the stores. They can start to do fulfillment. We loaded in UPS and FedEx rates. Here's the impact to our margins. And supply chain kept the business running. And it created such a political power base where to this day, C-level executives look at supply chain for a key piece of their their, their go-to-market strategy and, and how they serve the market. So um, supply chains become really powerful within mm-hmm. these organizations because the amount of money that you can, one, money you can drive out in cost, but really it's serving the market. Marketers love supply chain professionals because they help keep their customers in stock with products and they help keep growing margins. Yeah. And so it's, it's really, when done correctly, most of the executive functions understand these supply chain people are unsung heroes of corporate America. Yes, they are. You just gave me goosebumps. So great. (laughs) we're down to the last question. And I think you and I could talk for hours about this. So I'm a little sad sad about this, but finally, you know, what does the future hold for Koopa's supply chain design and planning? What's next for you guys? Yeah, I'm excited. And this isn't like on our roadmap, Sarah, this is just, just me talking, right? I'm Mm -hmm. excited. I didn't talk. Koopa acquired Llamasoft. So a lot of people know Mm -hmm. us as Llamasoft. So they acquired us back in November of uh, of 2000, roughly November of 2000. And Coupa has this great community insights, right? Because they have all this spend going through their platform. They aggregate it, they anonymize it, and they give those insights back to their, their community to benchmark savings and cost profiles um, to understand where they can get some value unlocks. So when you think about what we're doing across the supply chain, it's really taking more of AI and putting some of the community insights into these digital supply chain twins. One of the things I, I've written about recently is is uh, labor laws of supply chain. So in the EU, we're seeing some some legislation coming out that says, hey, you've got to be aware if you do business in this country, your global supply chain that, that feeds your, your, maybe your warehouse, your manufacturing plant that does business in our country, you have to know, is there any child labor being used? Is there any forced yes. labor being used across mm-hmm. the supply chain? Because that, that's Very critical. Important. And I'm passionate about that because I have children, right? And if I can mm-hmm. be on the forefront of helping companies understand, let's get rid of child labor, that, that's that's a great thing in my book. Yeah. But when you look into the solution, wouldn't it be great if you build this digital twin and you have these community insights and you, there's a box that checked and said, yeah, this supplier has confirmed that it's 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 child-free and here's the stamp, the certification. Yeah. So it's building some of that those insights back into a database that when you build your digital twin, it will do a cross-reference and say, ooh, I use that supplier. Does Coupa have that as a listed supplier? Bring all that data over and let right. me understand some of the risk, maybe the diversity classification of some of these suppliers. Um and, and, and take those insights into your supply chain. So there's some real practical overlaps between Coupa's core competence and extending those AI-based insights and really those community-based insights into our, our supply chain digital twin. And if I look really beyond, Sarah, 
and I, I need to write an article on this. Um, and, and it's in a draft right now, so I don't want to get too far into it. But as humans, <laughs> think about it. We can look at a few KPIs. Here's the KPIs mm-hmm. I want to monitor. We build the data feeds. We monitor them. Green, yellow, red type of philosophy. But with hyper computer centers, right, um, with the hyper compute power we have and machine learning being able to just look for pattern recognition, there is no reason with these digital supply chain twins. We can't be constantly running algorithms that look for pattern shifts and say, here's a shift in your market, shift in your channel, shift in your customer base, shift in the accessorial cost you're paying for your trucking and start bringing these to the surface of analysts before they even know they're happening because it's picking up on those trends so early. So I see a lot of exciting things, you know, potentials as we, as we integrate and merge community intelligence and more AI into these digital twins. And that's, that's, that obviously excites me and I, I hope excites everyone else out there who's listening. Yeah, so much exciting things. And I can't wait to see, you know, watch your journey, watch Koopa's journey and uh, just see where everything goes. So I really enjoyed our conversation. I mean, we touched on resiliency, innovation, collaboration, transparency, which are all absolutely vital trends right now. And conversations like this really help to contextualize why they're so important. And so it was really nice to hear about Coupa's value as a service ethos, because when it comes to spend management, it can be so easy to say less, say, you know, spend equals better, right? Like spending less equals better. And sometimes we need to make sure I need to redo that. Sorry. I'm going to do that again. Sure. I think you should. So I really enjoyed that conversation. You know, we touched on resiliency, innovation, collaboration, transparency, which are all really vital trends right now. And conversations like this really help to contextualize why they're so important. And it's really nice to hear about how Coupa is helping their customers in a simulation way, right? In a gaming way and making supply chain so much more efficient, cost-effective, but also really, really exciting and helping their customers make the magic happen. So it's really just a refreshing conversation. And Matt, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sarah. You're an awesome host and um, I just appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you'd like to hear more, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. And you can even find all of the solution providers that we have interviewed 
in one simple place and you can search them through our category filter on that page as well. And remember to come back next week when I will be joined by Michael, the CEO at One Stop, coming at us all the way from Australia. He'll be chatting all about the company, what they do, some of the biggest challenges facing the global port community right now, and the innovations we should expect in the coming years. It's going to be a really fascinating discussion, so you don't want to miss it. So come back next week. If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and even Clubhouse. You can also subscribe to us over on YouTube. So that's Let's Talk Supply Chain on YouTube. And you can subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, remember to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.